the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Samuel. Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. It's sad to note that verse says that they did not know the Lord. Listen to me on this. It is possible to be around the things of the Lord and not know the Lord. It is possible to come to church all your life and not know the Lord. It is possible to be raised in a godly home and not know the Lord. It is possible to work with a bunch of Christians and not know the Lord. The Hebrew word to know is yada. You may have been raised in the church or have no religious background, but there comes a time when we need to make a choice. A choice to make our faith our own. Not our parents, not our friends, or whoever has brought us back to Christianity. It is our own personal relationship with the Son of God. In today's message, Pastor Gary will encourage you to take responsibility for your journey. Make it personal, like Jesus makes it personal with you. The Lord wants a deep and meaningful connection with you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 2, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Here we are, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Well, we left off last time at uh, chapter 2, verse 11, but let me uh, just kind of give a summary of where we are up to this point, uh, especially because it's been a little bit since we've been in this study of 1 Samuel. So this first chapter and a half have to do with Elkanah and his wife Hannah, uh, they uh, struggle with infertility. They, they are not able to have uh, children. This is uh, particularly distressful for, for any woman and for a husband involved in that. But in this story, we see the pain that Hannah emotes. She weeps in, in the first chapter. She cries out to God. She makes a vow. And she basically says uh, to the Lord that if he would be gracious to her, by the way, her name Hannah in Hebrew means grace. If you would be gracious to me, Lord, she basically prays, then if I were to get pregnant with a son, I will dedicate him to you and not just a simple dedication uh, like what we do here from time to time with, with uh, children and infants, but a dedication of lifetime. If you were to bless me with a son, I will dedicate him to you for his entire life. And she takes a Nazarite vow on behalf of her son that she hopes to conceive. Well, God is gracious to her. She does conceive. 
and she names the son Samuel. And uh, his name in Hebrew is Shmuel, which means God hears. And she gives him that name because God has heard her prayers. And so she and Elkanah have a son, and his name is Samuel. Now, Samuel is going to be the principal character throughout this book that bears his name. Uh, Samuel, and then the first king of Israel, Saul, and then a little bit of David as we get into the end of 1 Samuel and then into 2 Samuel, which again, the Jews only have one book. It's just called Sefer Shmuel, the book of Samuel. First and 2 Samuel is not divided in a, in a Hebrew Bible. Uh, but Samuel's a unique uh, individual in that he serves to be one of the last of the judges before the period of the monarchy starts in Israel, where God reluctantly gives them a king because the people want a king like their neighboring nations. And Samuel also serves as a prophet. So he is both unique in that he is a judge and a prophet, and God is going to use him in a mighty way to shape the nation of Israel. So God's delay with Hannah was for his perfect timing. And as I've said many times, God's delay is often for his display. That sometimes when we think that God is not working fast enough in our lives, it may very well be because God is up to something bigger and better than we could imagine. And he's going to do it for his glory. And so that's what happens here. Samuel is born. Hannah is faithful to her vow to God. And so she gives young Samuel to Eli, the high priest, uh, at the tabernacle of the Lord, which is located in Shiloh. Uh, so she, the Bible says, after she has weaned him, which means he's somewhere around age two, three, or four, she takes him to the tabernacle, she makes good on her word, and she presents her son to Eli, the high priest, for Eli to raise in the house of the Lord, in the tabernacle. And this is, you have to imagine how excruciatingly difficult this must be for a mom to pray all these years that she would be able to conceive and give birth to a son. And then when he's just a couple of years old, she turns him over and she gives uh, her son to the Lord. There's no indication, though, that this is a difficult thing. We can only assume that emotionally, uh, a mom turning over her son like this. But in fact, what we end up seeing here is this joyful expression of praise and thanksgiving to God, because that takes up the first part of chapter two, where Hannah prays this prayer of dedication. She's dedicating her son to the Lord. She's making good in her word. And she praises the Lord in the first uh, 11 verses of chapter two. And that's where we left off. She just exalts God. She declares that God is sovereign. She uh, uh, speaks about his majesty and his character. And so she uh, offers her son here to make good on her vow. And she praises the Lord in the process. And she makes the first messianic statement, at least off the lips of an individual. At the end of her prayer, she says there in your Bibles in chapter 2, at the end of verse 10, she says, and he will give strength to his king. God will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Now, the horn of an animal is always a symbol of strength. So whenever you read the, uh, the word horn in the Bible, it's a reference to strength. And she is saying that God is going to raise up a king. Now, this is before the first king of Israel has been raised up. There is no King Saul yet. But she is speaking here of someone greater than King Saul. This is a prophetic statement because she says, He, the Lord, will give strength to his king, 
the ultimate king, and exalt the horn of his anointed. And the word anointed in Hebrew is Mashiach. It's where we get our word Messiah. So the very title for Christ, Christ is an, an anglicized word for Mashiach. Christ means anointed one. Mashiach or Messiah means anointed one. And so the first person in the Bible uh, to utter the words uh, regarding an anointed king, speaking ultimately of Messiah Jesus, is none other than Hannah, as she closes out this prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord. So this is where we left off. And then verse 11 says, And then Elkanah, that's her husband, went to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. And so there they they leave him, and he's now in his, even as a youth, here three or four years old, you know, I'm sure that Eli put him to work, like clean up, clean up some trash around the tabernacle, and that's doing it unto the Lord. Or, you know, go fetch me my, my ephod, my priestly garment. And, and he would be doing that, and that was ministering unto the Lord. So there were various ways, I'm sure, that Eli put him to work there in the tabernacle as a way to just use him in his service to the Lord. And so here he is. I mean, this is an, this is an interesting picture here. This now older high priest is going to raise a young boy in the tabernacle. And we're going to find out here in the next verse that Eli, which we already actually found out in chapter one, he's got two grown sons already. So now, you know, he's, he's at a later stage in his life. And, uh, and now he's going to be raising uh, young Samuel here. But verse 12, the next verse is a sharp contrast to everything we just read from chapter 1 down through the middle of chapter 2 here, because we're going to shift from a very godly family with Elkanah and Hannah and this young little boy Samuel who's innocent and loves the Lord, and, and here he is in the tabernacle of the Lord serving the Lord as this young little boy, and it's this picture of just, you know, just uh, righteousness and a family that's about, you know, godliness. And then we come to Eli's family. So Eli's the high priest here, and uh, we are reintroduced to his sons. And it says in verse 12, now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. Now, if you have different versions, I'm reading from New King James Version, but if you have an NIV, it says, now the sons of Eli were wicked. If you have an an ESV, it says, now the sons of Eli were worthless. If you have a a good old-fashioned King James, it says, now the sons of Eli were Ben-Belial, were the sons of Belial, and it's actually a word in Hebrew that is a... A, a name, Belial, that refers to the wicked, worthless pagan god of, of the nations around them. And so the, the writer of Samuel here is saying that these two sons of the high priest were wicked, worthless, corrupt, take your pick. They were more compared to Belial, a pagan god, than to the true and living God. And why is this? It's sad to note that verse says that they did not know the Lord. Listen to me on this. It is possible to be around the things of the Lord and not know the Lord. It is possible to come to church all your life 
and not know the Lord. It is possible to be raised in a godly home and not know the Lord. It is possible to work with a bunch of Christians and not know the Lord. The Hebrew word to know is yada. They didn't know the Lord. How is this possible? They grew up in a priestly home. Their dad is the high priest, which means that these guys are also priests under their father because they're a part of the line of Aaron, the Aaronic priesthood. And yet these two young men are wicked. They're corrupt. They're worthless. They are compared to Belial. They are Ben Belial. They are sons of this false God. Just that's a figurative expression to refer to just how dark they are in their spiritual lives. So look, you can be around uh, godly people all your life. You can go to church all your life. Knowing God, knowing the Lord in a personal way is an entirely different thing that each person has to make personal. And so, you know, if you grew up in a, in a godly home, give thanks to the Lord for your heritage, but growing up in a godly home does not make you a Christian any more than, you know, sitting in the garage makes you a parked car or going to a donut shop makes you a police officer. Do you know what I'm saying to you? It does not. And I love our police officers. I'm just saying, I love donuts too. I'm just saying like, like where you are or in proximity to things does not a relationship make like everybody has to own your own relationship with the Lord. You know, and so, you know, here I am as a pastor and Terry and I raising three kids and, you know, our our prayer was always, you know, Lord, um, we want our kids to, to know you and love you by the time they leave our house because it doesn't matter that I'm a pastor and it doesn't matter that whatever, you know, capacity or whatever career you're in as a believer, as a believer, you know, your kids aren't going to get to heaven on your coattails. And so you're always praying, you know, Lord, I pray that at some point what they're exposed to translates into a personal relationship with you, Lord. And so we're, we're still praying for our kids, but, uh, and, you know, some of them are a little harder than, no, they're, but praise God, all three of them, you know, came to know Christ early in their lives. And we just give thanks to the Lord for that. And, and you can't, you know, you can try the best you can. Some people have said to me, you know, have asked me, you know, what, what do you do in terms of, you know, how you raise kids to be godly when you leave the house? You try to set a good example and you pray for them because they're going to have a will of their own. They have a will of their own and they have to make a decision of their own. And sometimes you can do the best you can as parents and your kids go off the rail and you don't know why. And you can have several children and, and uh, the majority of them love Jesus. And then there's one or two who don't. And you're like, well, they were raised in the same home. How come some day? Look, this is all free will. This is human choice. And so you set the best example you can and, and you pray for, uh, for God's grace and you pray for your kids. Uh, but, but tragically in this home, here Eli is, this high priest and his kids are completely off the rails. Now we're going to see why they're labeled here as wicked as, as we continue to, to read here. So it, it says in, in verse 13, and the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling, and then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. 
Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. Okay, pause for just a moment. Let me explain what's going on here. When someone would come to the house of the Lord to offer an animal sacrifice, the animal was portioned out in three portions. The first portion of the animal was to be dedicated to the Lord. Then the second portion was to be eaten by the priests as part of their provision. And the third portion was uh, given to the worshiper, the one who brought the animal, that they could eat. And what this is telling us is giving us insight into one of the major sin issues going on with Eli's sons. When they would receive worshipers coming to the temple of the Lord... They would just take their, these hooks and, and grab out of these cauldrons whatever they wanted, and they took care of themselves first instead of God. And they would actually say to worshipers who were coming, don't prepare the food in advance, just give it to us raw. Now, there, you could read different commentaries. Why do they want raw meat? And here's what most Bible scholars think. They wanted it raw either because they wanted to prepare it the way they wanted. And the truth is, roasted meat is better than boiled meat. If you like boiled meat, that's a problem, really. I mean, you know, a barbecue and getting that fat just melting and sizzling on a grill, that's delicious. But when you're just like boiling it, that's disgusting. It's just, it's rubber, makes good soup, but it's not good, you know, for dinner like that. So, so it's either because they wanted to be able to prepare it the way they wanted to prepare it, or... They wanted it raw because they were good. They would turn around and sell it and make a profit and line their pockets. So either reason is not good because at the end of the day, what they're doing is they're taking the first portion, which belongs to God, and they're taking it for themselves. And they are threatening the worshipers when they come too. It's like, you know, give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. So, you know, they're threatening these people. In verse, verse 16, and if the man said, if the worshiper said to him, well, they should really burn the fat first. In other words, give it to the Lord, roast it before the Lord. Then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would then answer him, no, but you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. There's nothing, you know, worse than coming to church and being met with like the mafia. They're shaking you down for your offering. And that's what's happening here. These, these priests, and by the way, their names are Hophni and Phineas. We're introduced to them in chapter one. Uh, Hophni's name in Hebrew means boxer or fighter. Okay. So he's, he, they're living up to their names. Like, give me your sacrifice or I'm going like, to punch you. You know, so that's Hophni. And then Phineas, his, his name in Hebrew means face of brass face of brass, or it can also be translated mouth of a serpent. Okay. So you got, you got boxer and you got mouth of a serpent and they're greeting you as you're coming to church and like, give us your offering right now, you know, cause we want it for ourselves. And so the people here, uh, they push back. They're like, you know, you should really burn it first. You should really like, look, the people know the scriptures and they're wanting to obey it more than the priests, more than Hophni and Phineas. They're, they're correcting them. You know, you should really, you should really sacrifice that first to the Lord. They're like, no, give it up or we're going to rough you up. And so that's the way they're treating them. And so verse 17, therefore the sin of the young men, 
The sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. ESV says, for they treated offerings to the Lord with contempt. So that's the first insight we have into their sinful hearts. They're like, they, they did not want to worship the Lord, and they didn't want other people to worship the Lord. They wanted to take the animal sacrifices for themselves. They wanted the best of the cut of the animal so that they could either indulge themselves or sell it for a profit. So they're corrupt. They're wicked. They're worthless. They're sons of Belial. All right? They're around the things of the Lord, but they don't know the Lord. And then there's kind of a cutaway commercial. We'll come back to Hophni and Phinehas. But then there's this one section in here, verses 18 to 21, where it talks about young Samuel. And so we're like, okay, let's put Hophni and Phinehas on pause for just a minute. Those two corrupt guys. And let's take a look at this little righteous kid here. Verse, verse 18. But, but Samuel, but Samuel, you know, in contrast to those two guys. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child. Wearing a linen ephod. Now, a linen ephod was part of the priestly garment that is mentioned in Exodus 39. And so this young little boy has been given, you know, he's, he's like an apprentice here. He's like an intern. And so he's been given this little priestly garment that he wears. Must have been cute, right? Verse 19, moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and Bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. This is a very precious verse here because it tells us how after Hannah and Elkanah had given Samuel to the Lord for Eli to raise in the house of the Lord, that they visit him every year. They're about 15 miles away where they live to where Shiloh is. And every year they come and mom brings him a robe. And it's a little bit bigger every year because she visits him every year like this. And as he grows, she tries to keep up with him. And, you know, I just, I'm, I try to imagine that whole scene of, of, again, perhaps the emotion. You know, there she is making a, a robe for little Samuel and maybe wondering how tall will he be this year when we see him. And she gets there to the tabernacle and, you know, there he is and he tries it on and, and just the hugs and probably the tears. And I mean, this, this, if you let it, if you, if you just meditate on this, this is a, this is a tender story here. Mom being reunited with her son, dad reunited with her son just once a year and just taking this little garment and, you know, maybe she made the sleeves a little too long because she wanted him to be able to grow into it during the year that she wasn't there. I remember, how many of you remember? I mean, I'm a product of the 70s. My mom used to buy pants that were like six inches way too long when I was growing as a kid. And then she'd roll them up. And like, I mean, you would you roll them up. And then every year when you would start to grow, you'd unroll it. You'd have pants for like 10 years. And people could guess your age by looking at the rings under the bottom of your, your pants. Pants leg like a tree. I mean, we, we lived in a day when, you know, pants, pants were, were yours for years. And if you actually tore them, your mom would iron patches on them. Now you have to pay for the tears. <laughs> yeah, you got to pay somebody to tear your jeans because now it's supposed to look really cool. Back when I lived in the day, right around the Civil War, they used to... <laughs> 
used to buy these iron-on patches, and Mom would be ironing them on at the clip the corner so that they wouldn't, you know, roll up during the wash. Anyway, I digress, but I'm, I'm picturing Hannah coming here with the robe maybe a little bit too big so that he can grow into it during the year. Then she comes back the following year, and this goes on year after year. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of 1 Samuel. This book is packed full of practical applications for our lives today. We follow three main characters, Saul, David, and of course Samuel, through a series of crossroads and decisions they faced during the early days in Bible times. It is here that we find the victory of David over Goliath and the development of a new prophet in young Samuel. We also find the fall of a king in Saul as a reminder of the consequences of disobedience to God. As Samuel told Saul in chapter 15, verse 22, to obey is better than to sacrifice. Did you know that getting together as a church family is one way that you can hear the truth from one another? Cornerstone Chapel gets together each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m., and Wednesday at 7 p.m. to learn from the Word and spend time in fellowship as sons and daughters of the King. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We also encourage and believe in the power of praying together and for one another. Email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net with your prayer needs today. Thanks for listening to this teaching from 1 Samuel today on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not a General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.